One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. It's my screen time too. And welcome to It's My Screen Time 2, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming, from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen, find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids, Tony is 11 and Libby and Nate are eight. And I have two kids, Jay is six and Kenny is three. They're pretty adorable, aren't they? They sure are. (laughs) We like to tell a quick story about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Deborah, what have your kids been up to this week? Well, this is fitting with this episode because we watched The Jungle Cruise as a family And so my kids were having a conversation about Dwayne the Rock Johnson during a car ride. And they kept talking about him as Dwayne the Rock Johnson, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, like it's all one word. And they were saying like, just facts about Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson played Maui and Moana. Dwayne the Rock Johnson makes dad jokes. And then we had a whole conversation about one's character that they're playing as an actor versus one's actual personality but they have a lot of information about Dwayne the Rock Johnson and it was really funny to listen to (laughs) I love that (laughs) (laughs) how about you what have your kids done recently I realized that I didn't pre-prep a story I'm like scraping my brain for something fun because we've been going so crazy with school starting school started yesterday you know what's fun trying to teach your six and three-year-old how to tuck in their shirts because they have to wear uniforms for the first time and you know at this point I'm like I will do it before we leave the house but like I have no responsibility for what happens afterwards because it's just a completely foreign concept to them yeah I don't like tucking in my shirts same I can't do it I never really re-embraced it when it became cool with the increased popularity of high-waisted jeans which I'm Mm -hmm. totally on board with but like I got a mom belly you know that like weird flap of skin that like just hangs out you probably don't I'm familiar I'm familiar (laughs) with it (laughs) and I just I'm not comfortable tucking anything in yeah there's the half tuck look which I if I try that I just look really sloppy I don't because look I'm cool. like, where do I stop? Wherever <laughs> I stop the tuck, it's always the wrong place. It's, it never looks effortless. It looks totally contrived. And then all I can do is stare at my mom belly every time yeah. I am in the restroom or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so that took a turn and was barely about my children. All right. <laughs> So for today's screen time in the news, we are discussing an August 5th Forbes article by Rob Salkowitz titled, 
Marvel aims to start fans young with animated Spidey show for preschoolers. And I love that the past couple episodes have essentially just been me working out my issues with Marvel. So we will continue on that trend. So this article talks about a new show streaming on Disney Plus called Marvel Spidey and His Amazing Friends, because God forbid they just call it Spidey and His Amazing Friends. The article refers to it as Marvel's first full-length offering for preschoolers, but I should emphasize that if you do actually go to Disney Plus and take a look at this, technically they are full-length episodes because most preschool shows come in those 10 to 15 minute blocks, but us olds (laughs) were once used to consuming those in 30-minute segments, so you get two at once. These are just the 15-minuteers, and they come with like eight of those minutes are credits, so they are very short. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but Disney has to give credit to literally every person in every country on the globe now at the end of everything, which I totally understand. Mm -hmm. They're a global company. They have people working on these shows in all different places, but the credit sequence takes so long that my children have zero interest in this program. Oh, that's interesting. I thought of your issues with Marvel when I saw this article, which is why I sent it to you. I thought it sounded one, like a cute show because I really liked Into the Spider-Verse so much, but I haven't actually watched it. I'm curious, and this is my fault for not looking it up, to know whether they are also airing it on Disney Junior. Because for me, it would be much more palatable packaged in that more traditional way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And even, yeah, even my children couldn't get into it because they'd be like, mom, I watched five minutes of content and now I'm sitting through 10 minutes of credits, which does not make me want to move on to the next one. Hmm, that's interesting. I thought it sounded a bit like how tobacco companies used to pray and probably still do in more subversive ways on young consumers to get them thinking that like to get their brand loyalty before they're even old enough to make reasonable judgments for themselves and that's what this like let's start them young on marvel so they're marvel for life i know this is like the bubblegum vape of television products And they're very upfront about that, right? So Mm -hmm. they talk about how they're launching this pre-K show to get kids super young. And then they're transitioning into middle grade graphic novels with a deal with Scholastic. And they already have comic books for the 14 plus set. And then you just segue right into the grown-up Marvel content. And it's the circle of life. And some portion of the population loves that. If you're a Marvel super fan and you're really excited to share these properties with your children, but you, like me, are a little concerned with the level of violence, even on like the more traditional like Spider-Man cartoons, this could feel appealing, but it also feels so manipulative. And mm-hmm. I'm cool with manipulation in so many other ways. I don't know why this is getting to me lately. That Marvel world domination. It's wearing you down. It really is. And the article specifically says that the show, quote, might not drive parents crazy on repeated viewings. 
which I feel like is our wheelhouse. That's the thing we're supposedly trying to find for you listeners. Mm -hmm. So we should be watching this show and reporting to you whether or not that is true. And I just can't. I'm letting (laughs) you down. (laughs) I'm sorry. I've given all I have to give. (laughs) Do we have follow-up from last episode? so much follow-up because I realized that I made a big mistake when we were talking about all these Mattel properties that were being made into movies. I made some offhand comment about American Girl dolls and how I love the franchise and if they did historical American Girl movies I would be here for it and I like just totally forgot about Mary Ellen Extraordinary Christmas 1955 which was like one of our first five-star reviews on the podcast. We really loved it. Yeah, and but it we have been doing this brain. a long time and that was a few years ago and a lot has happened since then. So you're <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> forgiven for forgetting about that property. But listeners, just a gentle reminder that there are American Girl movies out there. Most of them were direct to streaming releases. They pretty much released one year from 2012 to 2016. But there were also these weird full-length movies that I have not seen. And listeners, if you have, I'm super curious about a 2004 Samantha movie starring Anna Sophia Robb, a 2005 Felicity movie starring Shailene Woodley. What? That one sounds really good. Yeah. Like, how did I not know this was a thing? Seriously. So listeners, if you've watched them, I want to hear about it. I don't think my boys will accept sitting down to watch either of these things as much as I would love to make them because I'm so curious. But they're like real movies, like 90 minutes plus. So I don't, sadly, I don't think it's going to happen here. (laughs) All right. That's all my follow-up. Just a big apology for forgetting about the American Girl content that's out there. The shorter ones, listeners, reminder, are on Amazon Prime which I know you're not used to going to for kids content because there's not really anything there, Mm -hmm. but these are, and they are from what we can tell fairly decent content. So today we are reviewing Jungle Cruise, brand new from Disney plus with premiere access. And it's also in theaters. It was released July 30th. It's rated PG 13 directed by Jauma Colette Sarah who seems to be a favorite of Liam Neeson in his post-taken I am an action hero phase. I haven't seen any of these movies. You haven't seen any of these movies. But he directed The Computer, The Commuter, Nonstop, and Run All Night. I had never heard of him, but he did a good job. <laughs> the script is written by Michael Green, who wrote Blade Runner 2049, Logan, and The New Call of the Wild, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa, who wrote Bad Santa, one of my all-time favorite holiday movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it stars Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Emily Blunt, Edgar Ramirez, Jack Whitehall, Jesse Plemons. And the movie is based on the classic Disneyland slash Disney World attraction by the same name, which debuted in 1955. Started out as a cruise down the 
quote unquote exotic rivers of the world. And when the animatronics started looking dated and creaky, it became a pun fest that relied on actual human skippers to make the story fun and a groany way for modern audiences. In this film adaptation of The Ride, Lily Houghton is desperate to find the fabled Tears of the Moon, which is a flower that can purportedly cure any disease and exists in the Amazon. She and her timid but loyal brother McGregor hire a disreputable skipper named Frank and his boat to navigate the treacherous route to the long sought after cure. The three of them battle a centuries old curse placed on the conquistadors that originally sought the flower and a present day German general looking to use the flower not only to win World War I, but to rule all humanity in their quest. Present day is in present day of the movie. It takes place in what year? Uh, the 19 teens, because World <laughs> okay. War One is a going concern. <laughs> Please don't ask more than that. That's all I got. <laughs> so we picked it. We just wanted to see it. It looked really good. We love a good adventure story. A lot of our favorites from our youth, like Indiana Jones, Goonies, are slightly problematic, hard to watch with our kids. And we're also always looking for quality replacements. Think finding Ohana over Goonies. Yes. And that was obviously one that was on my mind while watching this. It seemed like they had a lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. So have you ever been on the Jungle Cruise ride? No, I haven't been to Disneyland since I was like 10. Mm -hmm. And I've never been to Disney World. So I didn't know about this ride until like the movie was coming out and I read about the changes to the ride. This is one of those rides that I just don't get. Like as someone who's been going to Disney World fairly regularly since childhood, I do not understand its popularity. Like it just never grabbed me. I thought it was boring as a child and as an adult, I think the lines are too long. <laughs> mm. So I really appreciate what they're doing with all the puns. You know me in puns, 100% there for it. But I don't have a lot of familiarity with the ride, despite having been on it. I've probably been on it 10 times in my life. <laughs> are you in general skeptical of movies that are based on theme park rides? Pirates of the Caribbean is really the one that comes to mind, but I think there have been a couple others, haven't there? I guess I have no preconceived notions. I liked the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Did you watch all of them? How many have there been? 80? Oh, Libby was on a little bit of a kick with those movies like last summer. So we watched several, but after the first two, like I couldn't get into them any longer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think I've seen snippets of three through X, however many there have been, but I have not sat through one since the second one. Mm -hmm. um, but obviously those worked out really well for Disney. They made a ton of money. So you can see why they're looking to mine their attractions for more dough. <laughs> mm -hmm. We've talked about this before. Miles of Tomorrowland is based on a ride, correct? It's or... not explicitly based on a ride, but it was an attempt by Disney to kind of rejuvenate an area of the theme park okay. that is uh, looking dated and not as popular. Yeah, Tomorrowland. Sure. So the other 
pop culture connection with this movie and the ride is that the ride was heavily influenced by the 1952 Bogart Hepburn classic, The African Queen. Have you seen that? I have not. Have you? Neither have I. You know, my Hepburn knowledge is pretty embarrassingly thin and I kind of would like to see it. But again, it's a question of time. So like maybe sometime in the next decade, I'll sit down. It's not going anywhere. It's from 1952. I I got time. (laughs) Yeah, I would like to see it after watching Jungle Cruise for sure. Yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. I checked. So moving on to the actual movie that we watched and not its various inspiration points. Did you like it? I loved it. How about you? I liked it too. Although I have to say we watched it maybe a week and a half ago, like shortly after it came out. So it's been a while and a lot of things have fled my brain. Like I was looking over my notes, uh, prepping for this episode and there was a lot, there's a lot of specifics that I just don't remember, uh, though it was fun watching. Mm -hmm. How do you think it stacks up against those classic adventure movies of our youth? I think it's a great stand-in for things that we remember, like Indiana Jones. I think it's even a good stand-in for, like, National Treasure. Oh, that's a really good call, yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially because National Treasure can be a little, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a hard sell for the younger set, even though it, it has those good adventure vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, if you want to watch something that's an adventure, a treasure hunt, it's exciting and funny. I think this hits all those marks. So two big issues that have been getting some press coverage um, have been the portrayal of indigenous populations and the existence of an openly gay character in the main cast. Which one of those do you want to tackle first? Well, let's, uh, let's do the indigenous populations. Okay, so the Jungle Cruise ride was originally super racist, you know, of its time, but not that that excuses it. So they obviously, if they're taking the ride as inspiration, they have to do some serious retcon when they're dealing with the native tribes of the Amazon. So they have this Puka Machuna tribe, which is headed by Trader Sam, and the tribe in general and Trader Sam in particular are portrayed as being very savvy in their self-presentation, giving the European tourists what they want to see to get theirs, you know, like they're getting what they can get out of a bad situation. What did you think? I mean, so it wasn't an honest portrayal of Native peoples. Um, Right, right. There's like a scene where it's very like Heart of Darkness, like where the tribe comes out and they're decked out in like scary masks made out of animal skulls and all this paint on their bodies and stuff. But then like they break character and they're mad at Dwayne The Rock Johnson's character for... (laughs) Um, some miscommunication and so it turns out it looks like they're being exploited exploited but they have a lot of agency in the situation do you think it was a cop-out from an educational perspective to not provide a more thoughtful representation of the actual culture I don't know where you would have put it in the plot it definitely would have felt shoehorned in 
I mean, it definitely put a different spin on the way in which Indigenous populations are exploited, but it was still very colonialist in their representation. You know, now that Disney and Marvel are doing all of these spinoffs, maybe we could just get a limited Trader Sam series. Yeah, I was going to say that later on. Um, I would love to see a story told just completely from the perspective of the tribe that gets their land invaded by the colonies. And isn't the native tribe the one that should know where this mystical plant is and it doesn't seem like anyone ever consults them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, maybe they just hold that secret really close and everybody knows that they're not going to give it up. All right. So obviously that was just the tip of the iceberg there, listeners, but we wanted to address it. So let's move on to the other somewhat controversial topic, and that is Lily's brother, McGregor. He is gay. He says as much in the plot. He is also an integral character, and I haven't seen much backlash, which to me seems kind of cool. Yeah, I really liked him as a character. He's like the um, Shirley Long character in um, Troop Beverly Hills, (laughs) (laughs) bringing like suitcases and trunks full of completely impractical things to take on this boat through the Amazon. And um, he's just a delightful character, very fish out of water. It made me think, because we just reviewed Spaceballs a couple weeks ago, of Her Royal Highness's matched luggage. Yes. Because yeah. <laughs> there's a wonderful scene at the beginning where Lily and McGregor first hire Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who has a character name, but who cares? And all of this luggage is being brought onto the boat, and Dwayne The Rock Johnson is giving Lily a hard time about all the unnecessary stuff and McGregor comes in and explains that it's all his stuff and it's all the stuff he definitely needs every day because dinner without a dinner jacket is hardly dinner (laughs) (laughs) yeah he was a really good character and then the scene where he kind of comes out to the skipper Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character is very well done I thought because he's clearly like revealing something about himself and he's not sure how the skipper is going to take it. And then the skipper just like toasts to elsewhere, which is the euphemism for I like men. I love how Dwayne The Rock Johnson was more concerned with the fact that Lily was wearing pants the whole time than with McGregor's sexuality. Mm hmm. <laughs> And also to me, I am not in a headspace where I feel very good about where humanity is right now. But the fact that my Facebook feed has been filled with crickets about this revelation, whereas a few years ago when someone suggested that maybe Josh Gad's LeFou character in the new Beauty and the Beast was (gasps) gay, and Facebook exploded. I mean, to me, it's a positive change that we're not seeing quite the uh, vitriol aimed at this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although maybe it's just because we're in the pandemic and fewer people are seeing this movie, which is ultimately a shame because it was a lot of fun. 
Mm-hmm. It's rated PG-13. Did that feel like a weird move to you? It felt appropriate. I thought more for like the scariness of the special effects than for some of the other content. You know how the Olympics used to just be like perfect 10 and that was like very easy to understand, but now they've like divided the gymnastics category. So there are like a bazillion Byzantine rules based on three different scales and it more accurately reflects the difficulty and the execution and blah, 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 but it's yeah. harder to understand. Part of me wonders if we need a rating system that is like, oh, it's PG-13 for scariness, but like PG for all these other things. Yeah, I mean, doesn't it pop up like, uh, maybe it's more for television shows, like where it'll say there's like sexual content or smoking or language or whatever. That's true. Yeah, I think you need like a distinction here because I guess it depends on like what your kids can tolerate and what you don't want to explain (laughs) to your kids. And correct me if I'm wrong, because I have said, I've admitted to having a bit of Swiss cheese brain about this movie, but like the violence doesn't include like violent death, really, does it? I mean, no, it's just like the the, um, conquistadors who are like, I don't know how to explain it. Like one is made up of a beehive and the other (laughs) one is made up of snakes. It's um, like, they are legitimately scary. Like I watched this with my two younger kids and my parents and there was a scene where like the snake villain like has snakes coming out of his cheeks Mm -hmm. and like roiling underneath his skin and I saw that and I was like oh this is going to be too scary for Tony and then we watched it again just me and the kids and at that very scene Tony got up and quit the movie he was like I'm out The creepiness of it definitely reminded me of the first Pirates movie with the skeletons that could only be seen in the moonlight. So it felt like a very updated take on that technology-wise. It was all very well done and genuinely startling, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very believable Mm -hmm. in the way it was executed. He was was the scariest to me. I could barely watch it. (laughs) I'm with Tony. (laughs) You're so outdoorsy. Do you, are you afraid of snakes? Yeah, I'll jump and scream if I see one in the wild. (laughs) All right, you're never coming to visit us. (laughs) I know. (laughs) All right, well, what did we think about the writing? I thought there was a fair bit of sexual innuendo. Did you pick up on that? Are you talking about the scene where um, Dr. Lily Houghton is taking the sword out of the skipper mm-hmm. yeah yeah that was <laughs> I didn't catch it until the second time I watched it and then I was like oh <laughs> this has two layers <laughs> so I guess it was well done in that sense I mean can you really have a movie starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson and not have a little bit of sexual repartee right right <laughs> the puns what did you think of the puns um just super funny super funny in that like he knows they're groaners and everybody's groaning but they're they're still funny I thought the script was very witty and I really enjoyed the flirting between Emily Blunt's character and Dwayne the Rock Johnson's character 
a lot of the puns were lifted directly from the Jungle Cruise skipper script. So that's like a cool little tidbit. That whole thing where they go uh, past the backside of water, that is also always a part of the Jungle Cruise ride. So I thought that was a cute nod to the attraction. Yeah, totally. Which is not this exciting. It is a slow boat ride through old animatronics. There are no rapids. (laughs) There are no like sunken temples or anything like that. Uh, The movie version is far more exciting. Were there any characters that you particularly loved or hated? We already talked a little bit about McGregor. I loved the German general character played by Landry. That's all I can think of him as, too. (laughs) He's such a good actor, and I've never seen him play like somebody in this way, like who is not American, I guess, and has an accent. He was really good. He really embodied the character. This is going a little back to the sexual innuendo. Did you think that they were gonna McGregor like goes on the German general submarine for a while? Did you think that was gonna be like they were gonna hit it off? I didn't, but I kind of love it. We're just like throwing out ideas for a limited series left and right. <laughs> I really liked that character. Um, and then uh, Veronica Falcone, she played the indigenous tribe leader. Mm-hmm. And I just need to point out that I recognized her from Perry Mason, the reboot on HBO Max, because we slogged our way through that. <laughs> I am impressed. <laughs> Until this very moment, I had forgotten that even existed. Well done, you. <laughs> Who did you like? Uh, well, to go back to Jesse Clemens for a moment, I really loved how he managed to be both menacing and ridiculous. That was a fine line to walk, and he did it so great. Like when he was taking orders from a bee and his seconds in command were like this is ridiculous but he was still taking it totally seriously and he still managed to be a menacing villain figure I Mm -hmm. just thought he did a great job and the rock is always always charming I cannot pinpoint when exactly he became such a culturally beloved figure but I'm here for it it works for me my mom pointed out that he has a voice very similar to Barack Obama's. Does he? Like, I wonder if you listened to a recording of the two of them saying the same thing in the same cadence. I think it would be tough to tell them apart. And you know, there is all this talk about a presidential bid oh. like with Barack Johnson. <laughs> Please don't run for president. Stick to movies. You're really good at movies, Dwayne. <laughs> But I think there is something about his voice that makes him very feel like you're connecting with him. I don't know. Do you want to talk about Paul Giamatti? Don't you hate, you hate Paul Giamatti, right? I hate him. And I thought I was doing you a favor by not bringing him up. Paul Giamatti plays what you think might be a villain of the movie for the first part of the movie and then just kind of goes away for the bulk of it. And he, as usual, is perfect at being the villain. And he should just be the villain in everything. Raisin Cadaver, I rest my case. <laughs> what did you think of Paul Giamatti? Um, I thought he played a good villain. <laughs> yeah. 
more about him in our gritty HBO reboot, I promise. <laughs> um, so as for the look of the movie, there was a spot in the kind of the middle of the movie where they're like going down the river and it's before they hit all the dangerous stuff. And Dr. Lily Houghton has like this cube shaped motion picture camera. And I thought that was really beautiful, like, because then when you see the world through this black and white silent camera, like, the sound goes off, and then you just get these little antique-looking old-timey video clips. I really liked that part. I didn't, I don't have enough of a film background to know what the director was communicating with that, but I liked it. I totally forgot until you said that. And it was really charming. I don't know how practical it would have been to actually have had a recording device at that time period on the water in motion all the time, because my limited knowledge of the history of photography is that back then you probably would have needed to stand pretty still. And um, a lot of things could go wrong. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I thought it looked great and it was a a fun little addition to those on the water scenes. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I liked is the map that figures into the plot heavily. And so when they were traveling down the river, it was a really great way to segue from one scene to another. So they'd show the map and like an animation of the boat going on the map and then it would be revealed where they are on film and just I thought those transitions were really nicely done that was also a fun conversation with the kids like trying to explain to them how the map is a representation of where they're going in the movie it's not like they're actually on a paper map it's just showing their route and it was a fun like mental exercise oh one more thing um Proxima the pet jaguar totally believable yeah is it just me or every time you see CGI jungle animals in a movie, do you think of the original Jumanji and how bad it looked? <laughs> no, <laughs> but I should. That this is one was amazing. Point of comparison. Yeah, it looked great. Mm-hmm. So the effects were great. It was very believable. I don't think at any point was I taken out of it by a, a badly done effect. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about Emily Blunt because she's just so good you just take her for granted I think yeah she's her very characters charming. yeah her character's really fun superb acting she and Dwayne the Rock Johnson call each other pants and skippy and I find those nicknames to be very cute mm-hmm. yeah really cute so should we move on to our evergreen questions let's do it okay what adult movie or show does this compare to have you ever seen the 1994 Meryl Streep Kevin Bacon classic River Wild. No. Oh wait, <laughs> is that like a whitewater rafting? Sure okay, is. I remember it. I remember it now. <laughs> I really want to rewatch it because that is definitely what some of the like river rapid scenes reminded me of. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. How about you? I couldn't I can never watch like a into the jungle or read anything without thinking about Apocalypse Now. Which I have never seen. Bad me. Um, I really want to hear about your gritty HBO reboot casting. So Deborah, <laughs> I know you've been watching The White Lotus, and you've really been enjoying it. 
Mm-hmm. We watched the first episode and it just kind of brought me down about a certain thing about prestige TV, which is that often it doesn't have to be particularly entertaining to be well-reviewed and prestige right? Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about Paul Giamatti and I was thinking that in reality, the gritty HBO reboot would actually just be all about his character, Mr. Nilo. Okay. And his like quest for exclusive power over the riverboat tourism in the Amazon. And it would about hit it would be about his like graspy infighting with the only other riverboat captain who in the movie is The Rock, but obviously in this gritty HBO reboot would be played by Damian Lewis because they already have a show together called Billions in which they fight about things. And I think I would just rather watch it in this setting where they're both getting increasingly sunburned. Damian Lewis would get so sunburned. I know, both of them would, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a good one, but sadly, I think it's a realistic one. He's okay. a really good actor. I really liked um, the Claire Danes, Mandy Patinkin. What's it called? With Damian Lewis? Isn't he the redhead who plays... Um, he is a redhead, but I'm struggling to come up with what movie you're talking about. Oh, it's a show that was on for a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that one. Homeland. <laughs> Yeah. We rewatch Band of Brothers so often in this household and I don't really know why. I mean, not that it's not great, but that is my primary Damian Lewis association. Ah, got it. So in my gritty HBO reboot of Jungle Cruise, I want to see like the wind done gone treatment. Um of it so I'd like to see it from the perspective of the Amazonian tribes who get who their land gets exploited um I would really like to see an actor like Lacey Mosley um do you ever listen to the Daily Zeitgeist podcast anymore I do yes yeah so she's sometimes a guest she has her own podcast called Scam Goddess she's on a bunch of shows um like I think she's on Black Lady Sketch series isn't she on like an iCarly reboot yeah yeah that's the one I knew okay yeah so I'd like to see her playing the matriarch of the tribe and I would just like to see it from the perspective of um not the explorers but the indigenous population that sounds appropriate to a gritty prestige reboot because it would be really depressing Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) two thumbs up (laughs) was it better when we were kids I mean I feel like we have so many good examples of these like rousing adventure stories from our childhood so we had stuff like this but again as we mentioned at the top of the show it's harder to watch now so I'm glad that we have new stuff for our kids that is just as thrilling from a kid perspective Yeah, there's something, I mean, universally appealing to American audiences, I think, about a hero goes on a journey to an exotic land type of story. I liked this from the standpoint of, like, I don't want to be perpetuating colonialism. I think this was a little bit better done than the films from our youth. 
I still find this type of story really, really appealing. And I'm happy that there are good like replacements. Like you can watch the Dora movie. So good. Mm -hmm. You can watch Finding Ohana. Really good. I don't think you need to watch the ones from our youth, although I still enjoy them from a nostalgic perspective. Would you ever watch this alone voluntarily? Maybe because my boys are still on the young side. So like they were only a tad into it. So I can see maybe needing to, if I want to watch it again. (laughs) Yeah, I've watched it two times in like the last five days. So I don't really want to watch it again, but my kids really liked it. So I'm sure that there will be an opportunity for me to watch it with them again soon. So we probably don't even need this, but 10 seconds on whether this is good for our kids too scary for my 11 year old mm-hmm. yeah so, you gotta know the scariness level your kids can tolerate before going into it mm-hmm. so if you have somebody who really doesn't appreciate like creepy visuals pick something else but otherwise it was good because again the visuals are very good it's very realistic so if they're easily scared that could be a problem but at the same time they do do a fairly good job of balancing it with humor that is funny to a younger set my six-year-old was laughing a lot (laughs) but maybe that's because I've conditioned him to know and appreciate a good pun when he hears it (laughs) that's so good he's so little to be a pun appreciator (laughs) ratings I would give it five how about you it was a lot of fun um it's been a while since I gave something a five right all right I'll go there with you well, okay. maybe a 4.5 for the questionable um, indigenous portrayals. Let's, okay. let's, I'll, I'll do that. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. You can check out our website at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. 